No one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. This was once said by Warson Shire. Where refugees come from, how they seek safety, and the tremendous efforts they take for the sake of their family and future has one lesson we should all take away, which is a lesson of courage. Hello everyone, my name is Zahin Mabuba, and welcome to the last and final episode for this series. Today, I will be delving into the life of a remarkable woman who serves at the 22nd District of the United States and goes by the name Delegate Kathy Tran. I will be discussing her background, her efforts to help refugees and asylum seekers from a bill and policy perspective, and I will be providing some insight into what governments do around the world to aid refugees and asylees. Delegate Kathy Tran's family was one of the boat refugees from Vietnam that docked in the islands of Malaysia in the 1970s. The term boat refugees originally referred to the thousands of Vietnamese who fled their country by sea following the collapse of the South Vietnamese government in 1957. Crowded into small vessels, they were prey to pirates and many suffered dehydration, starvation, and death by drowning. Delegate Kathy's parents both volunteered to keep their lives afloat. Her father volunteered at a dental clinic since he was a dentist back in Vietnam, and her mother became a translator for the consulate office. Despite getting offers to resettle from Canada and the UK and other European countries, both her parents had a dream to move to the United States as they saw this as a land of opportunity. Delegate Kathy has spent a lot of her time and effort with refugee and immigration policies. She is one of the few refugees that got elected in the position that she holds today. During her presentation, she spoke about the Office of New Americans and the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. The Office of New Americans, also known as the ONA, was established in 2020 to promote the economic and civic success of Virginia's diverse immigrant communities. The office is comprised of an immigration service unit and a refugee service unit, which was formerly known as the Office of Newcomer Services. The office is responsible for the implementation of a statewide plan to provide immigrants with comprehensive assistance related to employment, housing, healthcare, education, citizenship, and other services for which they might be eligible. The Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, also called EDI, provides services and resources to enhance the IRS's ability to achieve its mission. The EDI office oversees IRS's compliance with federal legislation, requirements, and executive orders to uphold taxpayer civil rights. EDI also fosters workplace equality by ensuring that IRS follows equal employment opportunity principles throughout the agency. Some of the key programs involve the Civil Rights Program, which protects taxpayer civil rights in federally assisted and federally conducted programs, the Equal Employment Operations that protects the rights of employees and prospective employees investigating complaints and enforcing compliance with EEE laws, the Disability Office, which administers disability policies, oversight, education, and reasonable accommodations and collaboration with IRS business partners to advance the work-life experience of people with disabilities. Their last program is Organization Support, that centralizes support functions, including budget administration, human resources functions, data analysis and reporting, communications, and a lot more.
Delegate Cathy also brought up very significant points regarding the refugee employment structure in the United States. Immigrants with permanent resident status can face difficulties achieving full employment in the U.S., often due to employers not trusting foreign degree programs. They also struggle to be accepted into licensing programs that are required for certain jobs. For instance, during the coronavirus pandemic, tens of thousands of internationally trained healthcare professionals are unable to work to their full potential because their training abroad is not recognized in the U.S. Another example is in Tennessee, where there is an estimated 10,000 immigrants and refugees with a bachelor's degree or higher who face challenges in finding jobs in their new home, according to the World Relief Statistics. Among them are doctors, pharmacists, nurses, engineers, and computer scientists, who often end up taking survival jobs as factory workers, cashiers, or cab drivers as they piece together their lives in the United States. The Opportunities of New Americans Act in 2020 addresses some of these employment issues. The legislation would direct the Department of Labor to coordinate a federal study on the issue examining issues like language barriers and biases, the recognition of international degrees and credentials, the accessibility of relicensing processes, and the availability of professional networks and support for newcomers. This is an important opportunity to build comprehensive solutions at the federal level and to catalyze state and local actors to embrace this talent pool as well. Bipartisan support for the bill reflects a growing consensus for the need to change the status quo. We need these skills in our workforce, and this bill is an important step towards ensuring the integration of this talent pool. The last point I would like to highlight from Delegate Kathy Tran's presentation is her thoughts around restructuring federal systems to be more accommodating towards refugees, immigrants, and asylum seekers. Her major pain point was towards fund funding criteria and opportunities from a federal level for refugee resettlement and integration policies. Refugees are extensively vetted, a process that begins overseas with the Resettlement Support Center and U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Once approved, the Bureau of Population, Refugees and Migration, also called PRM, and Office of Refugee Settlement, called ORR, work together to administer aid to refugees. PRM collaborates with nine voluntary nonprofit national resettlement agencies to execute its reception and placement program, providing refugees with short-term support in the first 90 days. ORR, on the other hand, offers long-term aid and operates through state-administered programs or local nonprofits. In this public-private partnership, Resettlement organizations are often constrained by federal rules and limited funding. The reception and placement funding, for example, restricts assistance to the first 90 days of refugees' arrival, impeding local resettlement partners' ability to help refugees for a sustained period. The ORR, in partnership with states, offers additional funds. However, the reductions in prolonged federal funding have put pressure on the states and local authorities contributing to an increased backlash in those communities. PRM and ORR's funding for refugees has also not adjusted with increased living costs, further restricting refugees as they adapt to life in the United States. The lack of, of funding for resettlement opportunities fails to address the key issue refugees face upon arrival to the U.S., which is the becoming self-sufficient, which is a goal that narrowly focuses on securing employment and thereby ending state assistance. But in focusing on employment, the system neglects social challenges like learning English and adjusting to new norms. Many refugees may also struggle emotionally with the trauma that pushed them out of their own home countries to begin with, 
or they may experience discrimination and hostility from host communities. Yet, none of these issues are prioritized, let alone addressed in U.S. resettlement policies. In contrast to the U.S., Canada's refugee policies and resettlement programs are largely different. The Resettlement Assistance Program RAP, gives government-assisted refugees immediate and essential support for their most basic needs. Support services include greeting at the airport, temporary housing, help with finding permanent housing, help with registering for mandatory federal and regional programs, orientation to the community, a service that includes providing contacts for safety and emergency services, introducing refugees to the city where they have settled, explaining things like public transportation, Canada's education and healthcare system, Canadian laws and customs, and the local climate. They also help with personal finance in areas like budgeting, setting up a bank account, and using debit and credit cards. Further, they help with life skills support for high-need clients and referrals to other refugee programs. Canada provides income support under the RAP to eligible refugees who cannot pay for their own basic needs. Support can include a one-time housing startup allowance and a monthly income support payment. The level of monthly financial support is generally based on the prevailing local social assistance rates in the province where the refugees resettle. Financial support can last up to one year after a refugee arrives in Canada or until they can support themselves, whichever occurs first. Overall, my biggest takeaway from Delegate Kathy Tran and her presentation was the fact that the United States could and should be offering more on a federal level for refugee policies and programs to ensure that these individuals are not leaking out of society. As people flock to airports around the country and scramble to help people win or regain entry to the U.S., I would like for you all to wonder what's going on in the minds of people who have spent years in the vetting process, only to have their efforts shot down with the stroke of a pen. Thank you for tuning into this episode.